start and we'll cut all that because there's some people listening to this um, online and, and uh, I'm sure they wouldn't have a clue what we're talking about. Well, they would have a clue what we're talking about where marriage is concerned but not uh, what, what our church calendar looks like. Okay, so we, uh, we're, as a church, as a church leadership, we felt that there was areas of hardness that we wanted to expose or try to seek out um, for the sake of fruitfulness in people's lives. The last time uh, I spoke here a couple of weeks ago, we established that there may be conditions within soil, uh, within our hearts, that are causing unfruitfulness. Uh, areas of hardness that are causing unfruitfulness. And, and unfruitfulness uh, ultimately uh, can be described as unproductivity in our lives. We've been looking at the, the parable, or I have been looking personally in my own life over and over again, the parable of Matthew 13. Uh, and we went straight for the good soil within that, that parable. And we saw how pockets of hardness formed in our hearts uh, due to one reason or another causes us to be less productive than God actually has intended that we could be. We came to the conclusion that hardness uh, in soil causes uh, imbalance, causes an imbalance. And that imbalance can cause it to be very acidy. And so what it produces the, the the quantity maybe isn't isn't affected within this with, well, of what the soil produces, but uh, quality and attractiveness can be la- less. Lucas is down the back with us. I'm not saying this to to highlight Lucas or make Lucas feel em- embarrassed in any way. But Lucas works within the vegetable industry, and vegetables are something that grows within soil. And uh, and so there's a couple of things that's very important. Uh, carrots is one of the big things that you do, isn't that right, Lucas? Yep. And uh, and so maybe you've been in a store in anywhere in Northern Ireland or Ireland, and and uh, maybe they have, them carrots have have gone past uh, Lucas's nose or some of his employees' nose. But there's a couple of things that's important when just let's take carrots for example. Quantity is important, but quality. And um, attractiveness is important also. It's not just enough to have quantity. It's not just to have enough quantity of what we do in our lives. But there has to be quality. Our lives have to produce something of quality. And, uh, and attractiveness. You know, there's no point in us being the most miserable people on earth. And people saying, you know what, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Because I saw the look on your snout. And it's not too good. The fresh taste and the fresh smell that we once once were evident as we started this journey has now become uh, a bit tired and tasteless. Anybody ever identify that with that in their lives? You know, when you get saved first, you're on fire. You you want to conquer the world, but something happens. Something changes, and uh, and oftentimes we can leave people uh, instead of leaving people inspired. We talked about this. And leaving them um, with, with joy as what would be the desire of our hearts. That would be the textbook desire of our hearts if we were to write down what we, where we wanted to leave people. We often leave them deflated. 
We often leave them with a a bad aroma in their nostrils. We often leave them uh, uninspired and ultimately they're not drawn to God at all. And so we want to tackle issues like that. We want to tackle issues of the fruit of our lives, why it's less attractive than it should be. don't know whether you... Because I'm from farming background and that's my default and, and, uh, and the boys give me a really hard time about that, but that's okay. But I don't know whether you've noticed as you drive around the countryside at the minute, you see a lot of fields that are ploughed up. You notice that. And what the farmers are doing, they've noticed that, as I've said last week, is that the soil has become tired. What it's producing isn't just up to where it used to be. So they go through the process of what is called reseeding. They plough out the old and they prepare the soil for a new a new harvest or a new crop, something that's fresh. Even the field out the back of the castle, if you take a walk out there, that's what's happening. It. We brought out the fact that within this passage in Matthew 13, it's possible to have ears but not hear. It's possible to have eyes and not see. And so Jesus was clear with his disciples. He was very actually strong with them. If you read other uh, um, manuscripts or other books on this passage, he was very strong with them and said, you know what, if you don't understand this parable, you're never going to understand any others. Because this has got to do with your heart. This is the real stuff. Neil showed us that last week, if you haven't listened to it, please just listen to it on SoundCloud. But he showed us last week how King Saul, um, the man of position, the man for his generation, uh, the end result of his life because of hardness. He failed to inquire of the Lord. He failed to seek him anymore. Hardness crept in. And, and what, what was one of those fruits of hardness is pride. I think I know what to do. don't really think I need God on this one. And so hardness crept in. And that was a sign of the hardening of heart where King Saul was, was concerned. And as a result, he came to a place where the prophet came to him and said, what on earth are you doing? His response wasn't throwing up his hands and saying, you know what, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. and confessing my sin. His heart had become so hard, hard that he came... Instead of, blame, of, of admitting he was wrong, he started to blame people around him. Another sign of the hardness of heart. Another sign of pride. We don't take on responsibility uh, for it ourselves. The king, the man of God, reduced to this place because of pride. Neil shared with us a couple of weeks ago about the, the kings and judges. And the kings and judges, they came, many of them came to the place where they decided to do what was right in their own eyes. How often do we arrive at that point? I think it's the right thing to do. I think, you know, I think, I think, you know what, it's not enough. It's not enough. We need to inquire of the Lord. He took us to the place in Revelation 3.20 where God is speaking to the church and he's saying, I'm outside the door. I'm not actually in there anymore. I'm outside. Yes, you're going through the motions. Yes, you're, you're doing the rich heels. You, you're saying the right things. You're, you're, you're writing the right words. You're giving to the poor. You're doing all these things. But you know what? I'm outside the door. And I'm knocking. 
not actually with you. Dangerous place to be. And that's where hardness of heart can easily creep in and cause you to. Can I say as, as, I, as I enter what, what I feel God's leading me to today, if you have no desire to hear God's voice in your life, if you have no desire to live a life that produces a harvest that we talk about, if you're happy enough to go through the motions, um, all of this is nonsense to you, then you'll not really have a desire to listen. You'll actually be looking at the clock. And maybe that's a wee telltale time of, of where we're at. Sometimes I have to check myself on that. Oh, we've gone 10 minutes over time. Last week, as Neil finished, I found myself uh, repenting and saying sorry to the Lord. Sorry for presuming the battles that I have faced in the past and how I've inquired of you and you've given me the strategies to get through the difficulties that I have faced. You've given me the strategy. But sorry, Lord, that I have presumed that that strategy is enough for today's battles, is enough for this week's battles. And it's not. You, see, you don't have to read too far into the Old Testament to read that every, every battle that was won by the people of God, God gave a different strategy to. Neil shared on that. Sometimes they came from behind. Sometimes they came from the side. Sometimes they did unusual things. But they heard from God. And so the battle was won. And that's what King Saul did. He stopped seeking and listening for the voice of God. You know, there's nothing like a good decision. There's nothing like a good decision to make you seek God. I find that. I was astonished one time when someone tell, told me, well, maybe, maybe I just woke up. I'm not saying that they were wrong. But I was astonished to hear that someone once told me that during difficult times they actually run away from God. I was astonished to hear that because that, that has never been my experience. I find that it takes a good decision to put me to my knees. And we have all decisions to make. I'm sure you have all decisions to make. You have decisions to make about your future. You have decisions to make about your homes. You have decisions to make about family. You have decisions to make within workplace. You have decisions to make within ministry. And you know, and you know those decisions should never be taken lightly because what you decide within those decisions will determine your future, will determine where your next step is. And so for me this week, I've, I've wanted to hear God within my family. I've wanted to hear God within my home and some decisions that we're making. I've wanted to hear God within my workplace. And, and I suppose most of all, I just want to hear God within my family here this morning. I want to hear what God wants to say to us. Because there's no point in babbling words. There's no point in... In just getting a passage and reading it and, 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 and letting it be words. It has to be something more than words. It has to be the voice of God. Ultimately, it springs from here. It springs from his book. It springs from his word. But we need to hear what that is. 
want to tell you a funny story. After, uh, after I spoke the week before last on the Wednesday, I was in the gym. I told you about Sky Fitness. They, they want to run this um, uh, table quiz. And I was in the gym, and uh, uh, I, when you're in the gym, you come across a lot of people. And so you work, move from one training section to another training section, and they, they batter the life out of you in one side of your body, and then the, you go to the other side. Have you ever been, Mrs. Dawson, or any desire to go? <laughs> yes, <laughs> both of them. Anyway, um, uh, and, and so they either batter your arms or they're battering your legs or, or some part of you, you're trying to, 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 to um, do some exercise. But when I was there, I came across a guy that I recognized his face. You cross by many people. And one of the things is with me is when I see somebody's face and I recognize it, I'm always, I'm always trying to pin back, where did I see that person before? Where did I see that person before? Anyway, the long and short of the story was, it was seven and a half years ago I seen him. He runs a shooting range outside uh, um, Portadown. And so uh, we got into conversation because shooting is one of my, uh, not shooting people, shooting clays, is one of, clay pigeons is one of my passions. I love shooting, but I haven't had a lot of time to do it over the last uh, maybe 10 years. And, uh, and, and that's something I wanted to change this year. This is something I wanted to, to be passionate about again. That's something I want to, to do. So anyway, a conversation, I'll automatically engage with someone who uh, has that type of conversation. And so I said to him, well, yes, the last time I was there, I was, it was the week before I was getting married, and my brother brought me there. And he goes, you're a twin. And I said, that's exactly right. I'm a twin. And I said to him, just out of the blue, I said, what did you think? Was I good? What, was I? He said, I don't, I don't really remember back that far. But he said, if you hit quite a few of them, you have potential. So I said, okay, well, break down what that means. What, what actually does it mean to have potential? And uh, he said, you're good. You're, you're quite good, maybe. Um, but, but there's things that you need to change. And I said, well, do you do lessons or what's the story? And he said, oh, yes, I do. I, I've trained uh, some of the guys who have shot for Northern Ireland. I've actually trained, trained one of the guys who, who competed in the Olympics a couple of years ago for Southern Ireland. And uh, I said, okay, well, that's good. That's a good start. Would you be interested in me going and doing some lessons with you? And he said, uh, or I said, or, or what, do you, what do you think? Well, he said, you're, like, you're probably like everybody else in life. He said, you've got some healthy habits, which are good. But you've got some unhealthy habits, which are bad. And where shooting's concerned, normally unhealthy habits will overpower your healthy habits. And I thought, that's interesting. You can have both. You can have healthy habits in your life and unhealthy habits. But where shooting is concerned the unhealthy habits will overpower your healthy habits and then cause um, you not to be so good. And so that equates to the, the Matthew 13 where we're, we're looking at today, the heart's condition, the, the, the soil and the response of soil to seed, you know, for fruitfulness to do well. He said, I said to him, okay, well, if I'm going to come to... He said, no, he said to me, he said, I'll just take it one step further. 
If you, uh, there's three things that you need to do if you want to come to me, if, you, if you're thinking about coming to me. And if you haven't decided these three things, then don't bother, because I, I don't have time. He said one, for, the first thing is you need to acknowledge that you need help. You need to be teachable. I thought, wow, that's, that's good. He said you need to listen and watch everything I do and say. Okay. And then he said the third thing is, if you do that, you need to act on all of that. And then you'll have potential. And it's very like this passage where Jesus said to his disciples, you know what, it's not just enough to hear. And it's not just enough to see. You need to act on what's been done done here. Monday was one of those days. I'm telling you a lot of stories and I hope I'm not boring you. And the second part is I hope my, my oh, I was going to say my mother, my wife doesn't give me an earful when I go home for telling too many stories. Monday morning I got up and Neil and David has really been pressing upon us the intentionality of coming to times of prayer. And so on Monday morning I got up uh, early, before, before the prayer, I got up about six and, and I was very conscious that, of two things when I got up. One was that we were having a prayer time and the second was that next Sunday's coming. And although I know and I have an idea of where you want me to go, Lord, or what you want us to talk about, uh, Lord, really, at the end of the day, I just need to hear from you. I want to hear what you want to say. I want to hear what these areas of hardness are, what the area of hardness this week is that you want to expose, you want to open up that we can deal with um, within these soils. And so I sat at my table and had my cup of coffee and took out my book of Psalms because I'm going through my reading plan um, I don't know whether some of you are still doing this or not. But I just do uh, one chapter a week uh, or one chapter a day. And my my reading was in in Psalms 56 uh, where David wrote Psalm 56. And so we went to the prayer time and and we had a good time praying together. And and, uh, I think we learned something more of the heart of God towards us. We learned, uh, like in chapter, in verse 8, where it says that you store up my many tears in a bottle. Not one of them is lost. How he, 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 he so intimately cares for us that even a tear that we cry isn't lost. You care about me every time I cry. You know, um, and you record that in your book of remembrance and I just think that's phenomenal and and so this passage uh, we had a great time last Monday morning going through that or just sharing those few verses but there was a couple of verses at the start of that passage that kind of stuck with me um, where David talks about his enemies trampling him down he's been trampled by his enemies And so, as I've said to you before, sometimes when a verse like that comes to me, I don't understand it all, but I just feel that that there's something about it, and, and, and so I'll just ponder it for a while, maybe even a couple of days. You ever do that? They say that we don't do that anymore because of phones and technology and everything else. There's very few of us actually 
ponder and meditate on God's word and seek out what uh, God wants to say. I sat, uh, sat down later on that day and thought about Sunday's coming and I need to just finalize where we're going with this, Lord. So I opened the book again at Matthew 13 and started to read um, the passage. And you can do that with me if you want. And we're reading about the farmer who sowed the seed. He went out to sow the seed. Just at the end of verse 3, a farmer went out to sow seed. And as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds of the air came and picked it up. You know, this reminded me back to my farming days. I shared with you about um, um, being on the farm and growing up on the farm. Well, um, we had a, a field, I shared this the last week. It was called, anybody remember? The Big Field, yeah. And the Big Field was our big producer and it produced our biggest harvest. But during the times of crop, what we grew was grass. We grew grass and fed cattle. And we would harvest the grass off the, gra- off the ground every so often. But in between those periods of harvesting, sometimes we would graze sheep on, those ground, on that ground. And, uh, and so my job every morning as a young boy, uh, because we were the ones who talked my dad into getting sheep, but at 10 and 11, my job was to go down to the big field, call over the sheep, feed them, count them, make sure they were okay, and, uh, and, and, and that was my job. But sheep are strange animals. Anybody ever worked with sheep before? Robert did. You did. Sheep are very strange animals. And, and Kyle, um, you have done quite a, an extensive study on Scripture over and over again. You'll see that within Scripture, we are referred so often to sheep. But I will just say that they're funny animals. I'm not going to say more about them because sometimes you could offend. But the strange thing, one of the strange characteristics about sheep is, no matter how big of an area you put them on, when a farmer goes into the field, what a sheep will do, will travel, instead of traveling to the farmer, when the farmer calls them, they will travel to the nearest point of trampled ground or the nearest path, and then they will come towards the farmer. And so as a result of that, over that period of time, what what was formed within the big field was paths, areas of hard ground. Remember I told you last week about the good stuff that you sow on the soil. It's called fertilizer. It makes grass grow. Well, no matter how much fertilizer we would sow on these lines of ground that had been trampled, nothing would grow. This good soil became beaten down because of being trampled. If you've been on a mission trip, have you hands up who's been on who's been abroad on a mission trip? Yeah, quite a few. So if you're travelling from one maybe small village to another what you'll find is there's lots of pathways uh, and people just go over and back across those pathways. Or maybe for you, you you've never been on, the, on that, so maybe you've just got a garden and you've got a football net in it and the kids are playing football all the time and they're trampling the ground and the ground becomes compacted 
and hard due to traffic. Well, that's what, what the context of what Jesus was talking with in here. He wanted his disciples to picture areas of ground that were trampled, that had become hard due to too much traffic. And so the definition for a path can be trampled ground, it can be hard ground, it can be, um, I'm not sure what else, but it can be those two things. And Jesus explains how this hard ground, on this hard ground, when the seed is sown, that the seed doesn't get an opportunity to take root at all. It doesn't even get an opportunity to get covered. And so the wilds of the air uh, come and quickly snatch it away. And so I asked Father, I said, Father, what are you trying to say here? What is it that you want to say to us this morning? about these paths or trampled ground. I felt that we were swung back to Psalm 56. It's always good to see what the context of a psalm is written in. And this is, this is a time in David's life when he's fearing for his life and he's running away. King Saul, the man that Neil mentioned last week, is trying to kill David. And he's... And he ends up in a place called Gath. Remember that, a place called Gath. It's recorded in 1 Samuel 21, a place called Gath he ends up hiding for his life. Neil last week took us to a place where God was silent with King Saul from that day on because he wouldn't listen. Remember, he wouldn't listen to what what God wanted him to do. And so in, in 1 Samuel uh, 13, we read that, that God was going to anoint someone new. He was going to pick someone new to be king. And guess what the title of that person was? He was a man after his own heart. He was talking about his heart. We're talking about the heart here. And so um, in First Samuel 14 and 15 and 16 after, uh, we read that that, king, that God rejects King Saul and how uh, this breaks the prophet's heart. Let me tell you about the prophet in the land that day. His heart was broke. A prophet's heart will break in the background when he sees people away from the place God has them to be. Never idolize the place of a prophet. It's a lonely place. It's a heart breaking place yes they come and they give good words and they give words of encouragement but you see when the people are away from God it breaks their heart when people are not journeying where where God wants them where God wants his people to be it breaks their heart and they cry many tears and and this prophet did the same he was um he was he was greatly troubled we read he was annoyed he cried many tears and so in 1 Samuel 16, we're moving on from 13, 14, 15, and 16. In 1 Samuel 16, we read how God spoke to the prophet. And he said to him, you know what? Your time of mourning's over. Your time of weeping is over. Um, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. And it's a whole long story in, in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. It's a great story of how the prophet goes to the, the house of Jesse and he has many sons 
And, and the end result is the prophet anoints David, the boy from the field. The runt of the litter, the youngest, the one who was only fit to farm. The prophet anoints him as king. And, and there's beautiful words that are written uh, in First in Samuel 16, verse 13. Is that what happened at that moment was the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. You hear a lot about that today. We want to know God's power. We read on from there in chapter, in chapter 17 of First Samuel that the, the armies are assembled before King Saul, the Philistine armies. And there's a great giant called Goliath. Guess where Goliath's from? Gath. And so there's a great giant and there's nobody to fight this giant. The armies tremble. King Saul trembles. And King David... The young boy from the field comes to see his brothers who are part of the, the army. Just comes to see them and offer them some stuff, provisions to keep them going. And you know the faith is so great within his heart that he rises up and he says, I'll fight. I'll fight the giant. And they try to load him down with soldier's armor and, and he says, no, you know what, I haven't learned how to carry that. I'm not going to carry somebody else's mantle. I'm not going to carry somebody else's way of doing it. I'm going to go to the brook. I'm going to go to the river, the quiet place. I'm going to inquire of the Lord. And I'm going to defeat. And he does. He destroys. He destroys the giant. Uh, He defeats the enemy. And a great victory is won. And in chapter 18, we read on that uh, David went to live with King Saul. And King Saul's son, Jonathan. And Jonathan was the man who was to become king. But Jonathan saw the anointing on David. And Jonathan stood to the side and said, David, you're going to be king. I'm going to forfeit it. I'm going to, but I'm going to do everything in my power to get you where you need to be. And so they go. But, and so the people praise David for this great victory. And a strange thing rises up within the heart, this hard heart of King Saul's. It's called jealousy. Ever been jealous? And jealousy rises up within Saul's heart and so he decides he would be better to kill David, the anointed one of God. And so in chapters 19 and 21, we read that David starts to flee for his life. And despite the, the encouragement and everything else that he gets from his, his, his new brother, Jonathan, to, to not, he, he uh, flees. And he ends up in a place called Gath. He ends up back in the Philistines' camp. We read this in chapter 21. A lot of things happen, but he ends up in chapter 21 where he, read, where he, uh, he wrote this psalm. And he talks and... Uh, and, the, and he not alone's there, but he's letting on he's mad to save his own life. And so what I really felt God wanted me to touch in on today was fear. Fear can make you do strange things. And fear was the thing. Let me, let me just put it to you. My thoughts. What I feel is fear and doubt 
fear and doubt wore David's faith down. Something changed within his heart's condition. This man of faith, four chapters earlier, who could take on the giant, is now hiding in the enemy's land, in the foreign land. And and even to save his own life, he's telling lies and letting on he's insane. The end result of faith. Back to the big field, if that's okay. You ready to go back? Let's take a walk over this path. Some of the things that 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 would have happened within the big field, as it became trampled, as the soil became trampled by those sheep. First thing that happens to soil, as it the structure of soil, is it becomes imbalanced or out of balance. Soil is made up of three things. It's made up of water, air, and um, material, organic material, a substance of some sort. And, and for, for seed to grow, for seed to first of all germinate and for it to grow and to produce, it has to be balanced. There has to be a good balance of that. But due to the trampling of our sheep on that soil, they compacted the soil. You want to know a funny thing about sheep? is sheep themselves are very fretful animals. They fret a lot. They're afraid. They get anxious. They get nervous. Um, and, and the other thing about sheep is they don't do well when they're anxious and nervous. They won't put on weight or they won't take care of their young or they, they, they do silly things when they get nervous. And the other thing about sheep is if one sheep in a herd or a bunch of sheep is nervous, the rest of the sheep very easily become nervous. They spread, it spreads very easily. But uh, what the sheep done was they squeezed the air out of the ground. They compacted it down. And so all was left was water and the material. And sometimes too much water and, um, and that causes bitterness. And not enough water and that causes sourness. And there's, there's a story in all of that where we're concerned as well. The fruit of our lives become bitter. Where we become, what we share is sour. The second thing that happens to soil that's trampled, it loses its vegetation on top. So as they trample backwards and forwards, there's a vegetation on top and that loses their protection. And they become exposed and vulnerable to the outside animals. Something else I've noticed about soil that's trampled is it, um, it will react and react to external conditions differently. See, soil that's not trampled, when it rains, will absorb the water. But if it's trampled, a hard layer comes on the top, and so it doesn't absorb the water. And so it doesn't act the way it normally would. Another word for trampled is callous. Where have we heard of callous in the New Testament? In the book of James, James, well, we didn't hear it in the New Testament, but we heard it about someone in the New Testament. James's nickname was Callousness. And because he spent so much of his time praying, 
on his knees. His knees became really hard. And something that becomes callous becomes insensitive or unresponsive. And that's what happens to soil that becomes trampled. We're talking about our hearts. We're talking about our hearts being trampled by fears and doubts and worries. And so we become insensitive. The soil, the soil, uh, the soil where our big field was concerned was good soil. And pushing in on that again, it was good soil, but it became trampled. David was full of faith. Something happened, and fear ruled his life. He was dictated by fear. I was reminded about Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus, after the Sermon of the Mount, and talking about the great issues of the heart, he says, if salt loses its saltiness, it's only fit for a path. It's not fit to grow anything. You know that's possible. It's possible for salt to still have its same structure, but no purpose. It loses its purpose. That's the one thing about salt. It can lose its saltiness, but it still looks the same. By the way, out in um, the crash this morning, that's the story they're looking at. I just happened to glance and see. I was at the prayer meeting on Friday morning, and flat pack Paul, as we all know him, um, reminded me of the verse in Second Corinthians 10, where he says that we're to take every captive thought, or every thought captive, to make it obedient. To the word of God. So I'm going to just try and push this and land this somewhere. And take the, the liberty to do that. I feel like that's what God's speaking as I've already said this morning. I feel he wants to talk to good ground. That has now become hard. Has become hard. There's a covering over the top of it. Due to trampling. And that trampling is caused by worries, doubts, and fears. For some here, you have said this week, it would be better for me to go and live back in the world. It would be much easier. Some have said that here this morning. I really believe that. It would be much easier to live in the world. The interesting thing is in these in the four passages of soil that's mentioned in this in the book of Matthew. Okay, we have the good soil and then we have three other passages. But this is the easiest type of soil to correct. I know it from experience. We farmed. Trampled soil is easy because it has everything in it. It just needs to be ploughed up a bit. It needs to be opened up again. Hardness needs to be removed. From the top. You need to be like the farmer. You need to step out in faith and say, you know what? We're going to plow this field. We're going to open our heart before the Lord. It's the easiest soil to repair, but it's it's the soil with the most detrimental effect. In all the other soils, something grew. But in this soil, nothing. Back to the book of Samuel, we read that the turning point in David's life was, uh, and as we read the Psalms, we, c- we connect that um, he started to remind himself 
of who he was in God. Actually, if truth be told, he didn't start to remind himself. It was actually the enemy reminded them, firstly, of who he was in God. The foreign king said to him, are you not the anointed one? Are you not the anointed? He had got into such a place of desperation by fear that he didn't even remember who he was. And so we read that he he started to take responsibility for his actions and ultimately he, he started to listen to God again and ultimately he came back to a place, we read on, that he came back to being king. And maybe that's where you are today. Your faith has been trampled down by worries, fears and doubts. So much so that you've lost heart. You've lost your identity. God doesn't even speak to your heart anymore. There's no seed getting in. And if there's no seed getting in, there's no harvest. Remember, a harvest comes because of the word of God. A harvest does not come because of good ideas. A harvest comes because of seed. It's a heart. It's soil responding to the word of God. Your heart becomes unfruitful. Unfruitfulness is the end result. We don't want to make anybody feel in shame or guilt. That's not why we're going through this uh, um, series. But we want to build up. We want to maybe correct areas or expose areas of hardness. So that the Holy Spirit, ultimately, because he's the one that leads us into all truth. We want to edify as a church leadership. We want to build people up to make them strong. We want people to have fruitful lives. We don't even want just people to have fruitful lives, which produces a harvest of 30. But within this passage, it says that you can, it's possible to have a harvest of a hundredfold. So I just want to highlight a few things as I draw this to a close. I promise I've only got a third of a page to go. But a couple of things that happen to a heart that gets hardened or trampled by fear, doubts and unbelief. One is, like the soil, we lose our identity. Or our identity becomes distorted. The biggest change in my life this couple of years is understanding who I am. Understanding, first of all, who he is. And secondly, who I am in him. And that's where identity comes from. I I, I marvel. I marvel at the places that people find identity in. And if people looked at my life, they'd probably marvel at the places I find sometimes try and find identity from too. We can only find identity from him. We can't find identity from an organization. We can't find identity from a charity. We can't find identity from a club. We are sons and daughters of God. He's our daddy. And I think that's important. People need to come 
Christian people need to come to the place where God is their father. You have to come to that place. The second thing that happens is we become paralyzed in our faith by doubts and fears. We become paralyzed. We we quickly forget what we were created to do and start to focus on other things. Our focus changes. And we become more, more into maintaining our faith. I touched on this the week before. Maintaining our faith. Faith has got absolutely nothing to do with maintenance. Faith has to do with creating. That's what we're called to do. We're called to create. (coughs) Callousness sets in. We become insensitive. We don't hear uh, God's voice as much as we used to. We we forget about God's faithfulness. We become hard and insensitive. We become insensitive even to to the people around us. The people that God has put around us in taking advice. Oh no, I can do it my way. I know best. And there's a hardness comes on the side of the side of the heart. There's a hardness comes. I know best. Who are they to tell me what to do? Fourth thing is that we act and react differently. We act uh, we act and react to situations differently than we normally would have you ever noticed you doing something sat back and thought about it for a few moments later and said oh my goodness did I just do that or have you ever been in a situation where a person has just reacted to you like that and you say that is totally out of character for that person and the seed of that the the root cause of that is, is, is fear fear causes that because fear, we're afraid maybe of losing our position. Or we're afraid of losing our pride. Or we're afraid of losing, I don't know what. I'm not exempt from any of these. By any means. And the, fourth, uh, the fifth thing is, what the end result of this is, that we, we, because of hardness of heart, we can end up in a place that God has never designed for us at all. Way off track, and we start to live, we start to long for the good old days when we were back in the world. It's much easier then. It's much easier then. We long for the enemy's camp. We're going to sing a song. At the end here. I want to highlight to you hardness. Is the soil with the most detrimental effect. It's caused by allowing fears and doubts to run wild across your heart. The end result will be you'll end up in a place where it was never designed by God. You'll lose your identity. You'll forget of his faithfulness. You'll become insensitive. You'll even become insensitive to the people around you. But... Hear the but, but it's the easiest soil to repair. Of the other two soils that we're going to look at, the stony soil and the, or the rocky soil and the, the ground with the weeds and the thorns and all that there, 
This is the easiest soil to repair. Let me tell you how David, what David's turning point was. He remembered who he was in Christ. Daily we need to remind ourselves who we are in Christ. Who we are in the spirit. We battle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And those principalities and powers, they want to play tricks up here. They want to distort the truth. They want to get your eye off who God said you were, who God anointed you to be. They plant wee seeds. And you know what? If those seeds aren't treated quickly, taken into hand as we learned or as we read in Second Corinthians, if they're not taken captive, they'll produce, they'll grow into something. So he remembered who his identity was. Second thing, as a result of, of, of that, as a result of understanding who his identity was, as that came back to him, he started to take responsibility for his actions. See, it's not enough just to hear. It's just not enough to know. There has to be a response. And so he, he took responsibility for his actions. You can read this on. Third thing is that he repented and sought God's word again for going forward. It's an amazing story how God brought him back. And the fourth thing was that he acted on what God had already promised and was telling him to do. All right? Let's pray. And the team's going to come and sing. Shame and condemnation isn't from the Lord. Last week, we learned that he's a good, good father. His affection towards us. I don't know whether you've thought a lot about this word affection. But his affection towards us is love. And so when someone's affection is purely love... All they want to see is the best. All they want to see is the best for your life. I just want to press in a wee bit on that where I felt God saying that for some, the thought of maybe going back to the enemy's camp or going back and living in the world would be much easier than this, what we're called to. And uh, if that's you this morning, God's affection towards you is love. It's not condemnation. It's love. And you have two responses. You can respond like, like, like Saul, where Saul blamed everyone else. <laughs> he blamed everyone else. Or you can respond like King David and just repent before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry.
Cast me not away from your presence, Lord. Renew a right heart within me, a heart that's pure. So, Father, we, we need you. <laughs> I suppose we always need you, but we, we just need you more and more. Thank you that your affection towards us is love. Thank you that our identity, as we, as we pull away all these fears and doubts and worries that, that trouble us concerning the future or, or what's going to happen or who's going to do what or what we're going to lose in the midst of all this, as we pull that away, Lord, I pray that you remind us of who you said we are. We're your sons and daughters. And you've called us to great things. You've called us to those things that even go beyond our minds and go beyond our thinking. And, uh, and Lord, I pray even in just in this time of silence, in this time of, uh, of just, just bowing before you, I pray, Lord, that you remind us of the words that you've given us. You've called us to be sons and daughters. You've called us to carry You've called us to create. You've called us to this great journey of faith where we're not, we're not to be afraid of the giants. But through the strategies you give, as we wait upon you, maybe at those times when we're beside the brook, picking those stones, those quiet times, those times of reflection, that you give us the strategies for the way forward. We love you, Lord.